Super. All right, well, let's do our countdown, do our intros, and then we'll jump right into a fascinating tread deadline day. Oh, boy. So, <laughs> I guess we're ready, right? So, five. Yeah. Four. Three. Four. Two. And one. 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 Come on, get happy. Wasn't today just one of the best trade deadlines in recent memory? <laughs> Everyone was all on board with everything that happened. Nobody had any qualms or anything negative to say about anything that happened today from the organization. And we're going to talk about just why that's the case. My name is David Oje, and I am at MetalDave01 on Twitter.com, and I'm joined, as always, by Beth. Hello, I'm at H-I-V-E-R-H-U-I-T on Twitter. And Veronica. Hi, I'm at C-H-I-L-E underscore Pepper on Twitter. And we are the Happy Hour at Happy Hour on Twitter. And to help us with the trade deadline day, we have ourselves a guest that was there at Ground Zero as everything was happening, I believe, at least. Um, we have ourselves uh, John Liu on the line, and he is at John Liu, T-S-N-M-T-L. John, how are you doing today or tonight? How are you doing? <laughs> oh, great. Thanks, Dave, Beth, Veronica. Thanks for having me on again. That's uh, kind of uh, nice to be joining your show on uh, one of the most important days on the hockey calendar. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, you asked, we'll talk. Uh, but, uh, I, I do have to interject when you said that. What did you say exactly? That nobody said anything negative about what the team did? <laughs> well, yeah, well, then everybody we was that, on board. But plenty said negative about what the team didn't do, but I'm sure we'll get into that, though. Oh, yeah. see, that's proper English. And when I get off on a tangent, you know, it's hard to, to put them words together. But, yeah, so um, trade deadline for the Habs. Uh, overall, I believe that the major moves, there were four moves that the Habs made. Uh, one of them coming uh, last night, probably the uh, most interesting of them all, was moving Ilya Kovalchuk to the Caps for a third-round pick. But um, given the case that, yeah, um, Kovalchuk brought so much to the team, he came in right at a moment where uh, things were looking rather bleak. You know, there wasn't too many uh, other moves probably to be made without doing some major uh, revisions to the roster. But uh, Mark Bajavan looks at the market, sees Ilya Kovalchuk chilling out, and somehow negotiated uh, the Atlanta Thrasher legend to, um, yo, league minimum two-way deal on the auspice that um, the Habs will be a playoff team. Unfortunately, since Ilya uh, had signed uh, when he did and uh, up until uh, yesterday, the Habs haven't quite performed as well as um, I'm sure management uh, would have hoped for. So uh, Bergevin, it seems uh, to have fulfilled a sort of promise to Ilya in dealing him uh, to Washington. And uh, John, do you have a, what's your take on it? Well, I, I figured that Mark Bergevin would, would trade Ilya Kovalchuk before the deadline um, simply because, uh, well, if you take a look at the record, 11-10-1 um, with Kovalchuk in the lineup. So, uh, I mean, if, uh, unless the player is an absolute stud superstar that can change the, the complexion of a game um, like uh, Connor McDavid, 
you're probably not going to get a dramatic swing in a team's fortunes. Um, so it wasn't uh, Kovalchuk's influence wasn't reflected so much in the team's record as it was in the intangibles, and that's where I think uh, his true value uh, was um, showed itself, and that was in how he mentored um, the young players, how he led by example, how he encouraged. And, uh, and this is where I think a lot of people that aren't paying attention or that aren't, um, aren't interested in what goes on um, below the, the, the surface of, of the simple wins and losses, that's where they're missing the boat on Ilya Kovalchuk's value. Um, because I mean, even as recently as just yesterday or the day before, I was still reading comments on Twitter from people who are very ill-informed saying <laughs> things like, Oh, well, he's a selfish player. He's, uh, he, he's dressing room, po- he's dressing room poison. He's this, he's that mm-hmm. he's unmotivated. And so it's like, well, these people are either not fans or they're not paying attention or mm-hmm. they just have a preconceived notion that's, you know, it's a bias or it's, or maybe it's bigotry against Russian players. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you tend to have to just take those comments with a grain of salt when they pop up in your timeline because it's like if it, it's so far from the truth and so far off the mark uh, from what Ilya Kovalchuk actually accomplished in his brief time in his seven weeks with the Canadians. And granted, yes, he did produce um, three yeah. game-winning goals and then a shootout winner, 13 points in 22 games. So that quarter season went by awfully quickly, but um, he said it today that it just felt like he was there for longer because he felt so uh, welcomed and so at home in the city of Montreal and in that dressing room and uh, by the coaching staff with the amount of responsibilities that Colo Julian gave him. And uh, so really, he was it, it was a two-way street. He was able to really establish his, his value um, in the league again where there, there were suitors. There were, there were multiple teams that were interested. I mean, Obviously, Mark Bergevin is not going to disclose who's those, who those teams are. Mm-mm. That's just, you know, GMs don't do business that way. But um, from what we understand, uh, is that's, uh, that, and Kovalchuk disclosed that to us when he spoke to uh, the media this morning, was that um, there were better offers on the table than the one that's, um, that the Washington Capitals put forward. Um, and Bergevin obliquely confirmed the same. Mm. Uh, but the fact that he gave that he accommodated Kovalchuk's desire uh, to go to a team where his good friend Alex Ovechkin is, that he has a very good chance of winning his first cup. There, I, before even knowing that, when we saw the deal last night and what was what the what the asking price was, I thought, you know what, this really feels like Bergevin did him a solid, mm-hmm. uh, giving him the opportunity to to be in a situation that he would be very happy in. Um, uh, where he would have a very good chance of, of winning a cup as well. And so it's like, I've scratched your back, you scratch ours. Come mm-hmm. July 1st, you know, let's talk again. And, and, and both parties confirm that as well, that there would be uh, interest uh, once the UFA win, uh, signing window opens in the summer, that there is a possibility that Kovalchuk could return. And uh, I can tell you that there's not a single person in that Canadian dressing room that would be against that because mm-hmm. uh, whether it was Nick Suzuki talking about how much he learned from Kovalchuk, uh, Max Domi talking about what he uh, just uh, starstruck at just how little uh, nuances that Kovalchuk would, would teach him on the power play that would 
once mm-hmm. they put the power play into live action, what Tobolchuk was telling Domi came to pass. It would come to fruition. And that's just, uh, you know, a, a veteran, probably first ballot Hall of Famer's experience and encyclopedic knowledge coming into play. And so the, the young players really soak that up like sponges. Uh, Charlie Lindgren, uh, three weeks ago in New Jersey when Kovalchuk scored that shootout winner. Um, but uh, the first, uh, the leadoff hitter for the, the Devils was uh, Nikita Gusev. Uh, and if you recall, Lindgren stopped <gasps> yes. him on that attempt. Well, the next day, Lindgren told, uh, told me that uh, prior to the shootout, Kovalchuk told him, he gave him the scouting report on Gusev and said, he's, a, he's going to do this in a mm-hmm. shootout attempt. And he did exactly what Kovalchuk, Gusev did exactly what Kovalchuk told Lindgren he would. And so Lindgren made the stop. So, I mean, those are just little things that's um, little bits of knowledge that, uh, that, that Kovalchuk was able to impart to his teammates. And I'm sure that a lot more of that was going on. Um, I'm sorry I'm going on at length about this, but, um, you know, more things are coming to memory as I'm talking about it. Jonathan yeah. Drew Wayne speaking to us today was saying that, um, that there were times, even though he and Kovalchuk had a very brief overlap once Drouin returned from injury, so there were times on the bench when Drouin was down on himself because he had a bad shift or something went wrong, and Kovalchuk would would be picking him up. You know, he would try to lift his spirits. And, I mean, those guys weren't even line mates. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there again, there's that veteran presence, that um, uh, the selflessness of, of, a, of a veteran that really doesn't have anything to prove but it's just missing a Stanley Cup on his resume. Uh, that's him being um, a good mentor, being a, a positive influence on a young roster. And so um, you can see that there is value there that the Canadians would be interested in, uh, in, in putting, injecting back into their lineup come July 1st, as long as both parties come to an agreement that would be mutually beneficial and one that uh, I think that would be realistic from a cap standpoint. I don't think that it, the Canadians or any team would offer Kovalchuk more than one year at this point, uh, probably an incentive-laden deal as well. And yes, the Canadians definitely have cap space, at least this coming summer. 2021 will be a totally different story, but at least mm-hmm. moving into the next season, um, there would be room on the in, in the uh, in, in the coffers for a guy like Kovalchuk to return. So that'll be a storyline that we'll be following as the uh, as the as June uh, concludes and we go into the next. Uh, big day on the calendar for the Canadians. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, you hit, you hit the nail on the head on all points. Uh, when I, I recall when, uh, when the Habs actually uh, got Koval Chuck, I think I was at work and I gasped out loud and everyone in my work area was like, what's happening? And I said, hockey stuff. And everyone calmed right down because nobody cared, but no, just having that presence, not to, not to go too much into the point, but, it's 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 been a while since the Habs have had a different star from Carey and Shea Weber. Now you have this guy Ilya Kovalchuk, this you know amazing player uh, back with uh, the Thrashers, back with the Devils and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a story with him um, coming back, going to the Kings, not quite having um, a banner uh, period of uh, time with the Kings. So you know. Uh, the story goes, uh, Kings terminated his contract, months pass, Habs pick him up, and man, did he, you know, hit the ground running, you know, on all cylinders uh, for the Habs. So, just, uh, 
very thankful for him to come and hopefully yeah come uh july 1st uh it's i think it's kind of rare for both camps the habs and uh kovalchuk's uh side of things to be so amiable and open to the idea of uh, attempting to work something out after the fact i think that's really cool and i hope it happens honestly uh getting someone like that back into the lineup for uh, next season as it's shaping up to be now that we have an idea of how the roster is going to look at least a little bit is uh gonna it's gonna be uh big for everyone and not only Do you go, John? Oh, no, no. No, no, you go ahead, Veronica. I was just going to say that he also <laughs> he also um, just brings this really positive energy. And I noticed it the first time that um, when, I mean, I noticed it all along. He, he just had this really positive energy. But he was like, he was like a madman after Carey Price won in that shootout in the Vegas game. Mm-hmm. Um, he just came and toppled all the players around Price to, to, to grab him by the helmet and start screaming at him. And, and I was like, wow, this guy really, he really wants to win with this group. He's very excited about it. He's not here uh, um, just, you know, kind of like gracing us with his presence. So that, that good energy that he brings Besides also, obviously, um, my dog is drinking her water. This is what she does when I'm on the podcast every time. Um, he, 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 he's also, you know, like, just like you said, John, just sharing his wisdom and like a skilled player and, and a passionate guy. And, you know, like when we, we saw when he scored the overtime winner, when his family was in the building, um, and you know, just the things that he said today, like, I don't know who it was that got him to say, uh, uh, today in his, in his scrum that, you know, this is not goodbye. Like, it's clear mm, that, mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. not just wishful thinking on my part, but it's clear that he has a respect for Mark Bergevin. Mark Bergevin did him a favor by, you know, he was, I, and I think that he does this a lot, actually, Mark Bruce when he trades players, he's thoughtful about where he sends them to. He puts thought into it. He's been um, on record to say so, as much, too, to interrupt, sorry. Mm-hmm. He's, he's yeah, very, he's no, very right. cognizant of that. That's all. Yeah, and he's, yeah. he's a former player. And so, anyway, I, 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 the being the bright-eyed optimist that I am, I, I have hope for something developing in in July because he got a taste for himself. He experienced firsthand what it's like to win um, in in Montreal and what it's like to play in a city like this. So let's see. Let's hope. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah, well, the- I was just going to say really quick is that not only for Benjamin did um, uh, Kovalchuk um, you know, give his praises to, but he was, you know, also lauding uh, Julien as well, saying that, you know, he's a great coach, an old school guy that he was really happy to play under. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what his exact uh, ice time average was, but it was in range of about 20 minutes per game. And so for a wow. guy that, that, that had barely played um, in the early stages of the season before LA terminated his contract, uh, Julian really, um, you know, rode him to the wall, and um, so, yeah. you know, if if Kovalchuk was trying to uh, revive his career, he certainly was put in the best possible situation, because not only did he get the ice time and the responsibilities, um, the, he went into an environment where um, it, it was the perfect fit as far as um, the fan base is concerned, because we've seen it time and again over the years that. 
Canadian stands, they love flamboyant, splashy players, guys that play with a lot of panache. Um, You know, whether it's, um, you know, uh, Kovalchuk being the latest example, but they loved Alexander Radulov. I mean, Gila Fleur is legendary Mm -hmm. for that. The Rocket, you name it. So he really fit the mold. And um, uh, I've seen and read comments about people comparing Kovalchuk to Radulov. And Veronica, your, your, your point about uh, the way that he's celebrated with his teammates, like probably celebrating harder for his teammates than his yes. successes. No, I mean, we, we saw that with Radulov. That was very much part of his makeup. And so, and Claude Julien brought that up in a scrum uh, a couple of weeks ago as well, that we all had taken notice that, yeah, this, that Kovalchuk was very much like his uh, Russian countrymen in that regard. But having said that, the way that things ended with Radulov in Montreal, I sense a different dynamic and uh, people that are yeah. trying to compare the same thing. You know, again, to me, that just smells like uh, bigotry mm. against Russian players, um, that they're trying to paint one uh, pending free agent uh, with the same brush as another one that's, uh, that's spurned the Canadians. And But you know what? These are totally different situations, guys that are at different stages of their careers, for Kovalchuk, he's he's looking for a cup, and uh, uh, he's not chasing the money because, let's be honest, he made a, an absolute truckload of money in the KHL for five seasons, or I believe it was five seasons after he went back after leaving the Devils. Um, so money is not the primary concern for him. He's a family man. He's thinking about that situation. But, uh, uh, you know, good fit to him is very important but first and foremost the cup and so he has a really good opportunity yeah. to get to get that but i mean this is all speculative if he wins a cup with washington does washington mm. have the cap space probably not to to keep him in the fold and so that's where montreal <clears throat> um if we were to just project the current situation mm-hmm. to july 1st there would be interest in both parties for them to, to reunite. Um, obviously, things can change over the next four months, but uh, at this given point in time, Montreal has the cap space and both parties have the willingness and the interest. And so, again, we'll just uh, have to wait and see how things play themselves out after the draft. That's right. Yeah. And, yep. and speaking of the draft, I believe that we acquired, uh, the Habs acquired, a few more picks, or maybe a couple, actually, come think of it. Now We've I'm looking at it. 14. Yeah, mm-hmm. plus the seventh right. that we got for good old Pekka, who was moved to Ottawa for year. Aaron LeChuck. Now, I I took some time today to look up um Aaron LeChuck. Again, I uh, got him for uh, Matthew Pekka today at the deadline. And I can't find a whole lot about uh, LeChuck aside from young guy, 22 years old, won a Memorial Cup with Sergachev back in the 16-17 season. Uh, was the OHL, uh, was awarded the, um, award in the OHL for the most points in 2017, 2018, but he's gone undrafted. I was kind of wondering how LeChuck came into the decision with, uh, Pekka, but there's an extra, uh, fold with Pekka as well, uh, uh, coming in the, um, uh, coming from the perspective of the Laval Rocket and, um, where was it? I was reading. Actually, um, shoot, I'm going to need a, a reminder on this fella's name. Andrew Zardanowski. Zardanowski. Thank mm-hmm. you. I keep messing up his name. I'm so sorry. Uh, but um, he he had mentioned in a tweet or uh, before that he put uh the rookie line together of Kotka Niemi, uh, Evans, and uh, or a prospect line of a uh, Kotka Niemi. Uh, I think actually 
Koka, Paling, and Hudon against a more veteran line of Barber, mm. Varone, and Pekka. And unfortunately, the uh, the prospect line seemed to always outperform the veteran line. And now as we see uh, with the conclusion today that uh, Pekka, Varone, and Barber are no longer Habs. So I'm mm. wondering uh, what the caveat is with all that. But do you have anything on Mr. Aaron LeChuck, uh, John Liu? No, I don't. Aside from the fact that the first <laughs> okay. syllable of his surname is the same as mine. Uh, but I mean, the fact that he's been assigned to the AHL already would seem tend to suggest that this, I mean, purely was a depth move. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, I personally, I'd be, I'd be shocked if we saw uh, Luchuk um, with the uh, with the big club at any point in the remainder of the season, unless uh, there were further injuries or if for some reason he shows well with the Rockets and earns uh, a look. But I would have to believe that there are other uh, prospects. Um, that uh, they're ahead of them on the death chart. And I mentioned, you mentioned, you, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't cut Kinyemi and Evans. It was actually Evans, not Paling that was on that line. Thank um, you. Yep. That's, uh, that's, uh, and Evans has already been called up. But I mean, the thing is, the Canadians basically got rid of, of three forwards in the last 24 hours. And so they need, they need players up here. And, uh, and so <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm having a coughing fit today and oh, no. actually I have a story but I, I can't really tell the story the, a coughing fit and, and Brennan Gallagher it was <coughs> oh. excuse me oh no <coughs> yeah Gallagher at his chirping best um, but um, and uh, I read a little anyhow, bit of that yeah, so, yeah it was a moment and uh, yeah Gallagher was, was he was in fine form today, but uh, yeah, I, I can't really yeah. tell the story that involved me because there are sure to be people <laughs> that would get offended by it, uh, and I don't want to put oh, Gallagher no. in that uncomfortable situation. Oh, no. But it was funny; <laughs> it, yeah, it definitely was funny. But um, yeah, with the AHL situation, definitely. Has it. I, I think the Canadians have come to the realization, or not so much the realization. I think they 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 ha- are acknowledging their their state which is that they're not play, making the playoffs that's basically they're going to have to for all intents and purposes run the table to give themselves a realistic chance of making it into the playoffs and so um the fact that Bergerman was in light sellers mode today um would tend to suggest that it's like okay well it's for the rest of the season it's this roster right this rest of this roster yeah. this current composition plus whatever prospects they might need to call up whether to fill out the roster or any injuries that might crop up between now and the first week of april and uh so uh it, to me what's really going to be interesting is how does this team play from tomorrow night for the remainder of the season mm-hmm. because they, they they traded they traded away two guys that were very respected veterans that were mentors to younger players and, uh, and certainly in Kovalchuk's case, gave them a real spark. And so when you take those emotional levers out of the mix, how is that going to affect a team that is not going to make the playoffs? Yeah. So, uh, all season long, Claude Julien and the players have been complimentary of each other and of themselves uh, for the fact that they, that they don't give up, that basically pretty much every game they're competitive, that they're in it, Every team has some clunkers, some real stinkers, and the Canadians have done that through the course of the season as well. But for the most part, for a team that 
really uh, had its depth exposed by injuries to key personnel and uh, mm-hmm. that didn't that was lacking again lacking high-end t- talent game breakers for the most part they were a competitive team for the better part of the season look at how many one goal games they lost as mm-hmm. far as I know mm-hmm. I think they still lead the league in that category so that just tells you that okay they're they're losing by very slim margins meaning that they're competitive that they're in most games that they where they see yes. up. So now, from this point on, for the next seven weeks, are they still going to be that team? And uh, I think that's where Bergeron will be gathering information is to say, okay, well, which of the players are still bringing it? Which ones are still committed? Which ones are packing it in? You know. And uh, so he'll still be the the the, the remaining the remaining six weeks will still be fact finding. It will be a fact finding mission for him um, because. Hmm. Uh, yeah. The, the roster, let's put it this way. I think we all have to come to the agreement that um, you can't go back to the well with the same roster composition next season as they did this year because it just didn't work. Last year, it was more or less the same lineup as this year, minus plus, minus a couple of, uh, of, mm. of, of players in various roles. But for the most part, the core remained the same. So if they missed by three points last year and this year injuries derailed their season to a certain extent, well, you can't go back next year with the same roster composition and expect improvements in their results because the formula just isn't working, right? And so, uh, yeah, it's uh, at, at this point that they're going to have to augment the team at the draft in some significant mm-hmm. areas. Um, or uh, that to me is the only solution and young players or prospects are going to have to step up and fill roles, win jobs, because it's clear that Bergevin is not prepared to go the nuclear option and, uh, no, uh, yeah, and jettison any of his, any of his core pieces. That's right. So now that sort of contradicts a, b- a bunch of opinions that I, I honestly, uh, John, I stayed away from from reading <laughs> too much on Twitter today because it was just a little bit too much for me. A little. But I did see. I thought yeah, it was fine. It was everything was just great. <laughs> Sorry, Veronica. You make no, like you. There was like the just a little bit too much uh reaction for me uh, but i i did see the opinion that um somebody said that he hinted at making huge changes at the draft am i well wrong? that's um i i tweeted that uh, he made an inference that's um yes it was you <laughs> that yeah yeah uh, no but i didn't <laughs> say that he would that he wasn't he wasn't suggesting huge a huge move but just that um, that the core uh, that he's maintained mm-hmm. the core of his team, mm-hmm. and that is that's the group that he's looking uh, that that he that he intends will be the group moving forward. But that could change, and if it was going to change, it would likely happen uh, during the draft when hockey deals tend to tend to be made. So he was making an yes. inference. Um, it was not a commitment or a promise by any means. But um, I think what he was trying to say is that now was not the time to make uh, a, a landscape-shifting deal. 
that yes. more likely it would happen in June. And the thing is that the climate was right for it because he has the second most draft picks. I mean, it was fascinating watching the interplay between Montreal and Ottawa today because they just seemed jockeying for position um, as to who was going to have the most draft picks come mm-hmm. July. And the, the four seventeen rivals look like they have the upper hand on Montreal at this point. Um, I mean, obviously, that I, that's not their sole motivation. I mean, Ottawa is in full-blown rebuild build mode, so they want picks, right, for that purpose. But the fact that Bergevin has as many, uh, oppor- as many picks as he does, um, in addition to the fact that uh, the, the draft being in his own backyard uh, and putting out a comment like that about the core is the core, but if something were to happen, mm-hmm. if he did choose to make a move, or a change, it would likely happen at the draft. Well, there's the climate would be right for something significant to happen, right? And of course, we have to wait and see what happens with the draft lottery because everything could change. He threw that in there as well. That the draft lottery, obviously, that's something right. that they can't control. They can't control that, but that could change everything, like in the most unimaginable way possible, right? I mean, the Canadians have very slim chance of winning the draft, but hey, we've seen. Plenty of teams lose the draft in recent years, and so yep. uh, it's not inconceivable that uh, mm-hmm. um, that the Canadians could be the team that is on the other end of the not losing part. I'm sorry to use that really weird double negative, but uh, <laughs> yeah, if there no, was a time for it to happen, it would be for I wouldn't call Alexei Lafreniere a generational player, but certainly he'll be a very uh, extremely high caliber player for a long time. And for if it were to play in the Canadians favor, well, that would be the best of all worlds for them. Right. So, um, yeah. Yes, I, it would. That's, yeah. Yeah. July 1st would be the next big date. Sorry. We've got about the draft and certainly the draft lottery. So I got too far mm-hmm. ahead of my, ourselves. Here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's that would, see. would be very cool. It would be. And very cool. I'm glad that you brought up that point to John about how, um, you know, blowing it up on, on trade deadline day is kind of not the way to do it. Um, I agree. And I put out there and I know that um, I've, I've, I've been called all, all kinds of names from lunatic fringe and idiot and everything else. But until there's, no. until there, there's an opportunity that they are not going to make the playoffs, I'm going to hope for the playoffs. And so I believe, and and like you say, John, after tomorrow, we're going to find out how serious these guys are about wanting to make the playoffs and trying to make the playoffs. Um, and I didn't think that Mark Bergevin was just going to take away their best players no. while they're in the middle of this. That's like that's akin to telling them, well, you can't do it. I don't believe in you. You can't do it. And I mm-hmm, just didn't right. see him doing that to those players. So no, I wasn't no, he surprised didn't wave, at all. No, he didn't wave the white flag. Right. No. And, no. Uh, but at the same time, he did. He did. Uh, he he sacrificed a couple of real character, strong character dressing room guys. Yes. And again, so we come back to that point. How is the room going to react mm-hmm. to that on the right. ice? Right. Yeah. And uh, in particular, but point. The... No, you're absolutely. Go ahead. Sorry. But you're absolutely right, Veronica. Votes that. Yeah. That um, until they're mathematically eliminated. Everything that we mm-hmm. say is 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 purely speculative because anything could happen. Who knows? They could go on an eighteen and old run. You know, yes, I'm highly unlikely, but it's possible. <laughs> they could. It's, yeah, it's a slim possibility. Their likelihood of making the playoffs is only like two point four percent. 
So the to odds think. are overwhelmingly against them. But until they're mathematically eliminated, there's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it'll, again, yeah. we'll see how they react. But to me, um, I think a big part of why this team hasn't packed it in or why they, um, they have had the, the profile of being a team that doesn't give up is because of their captain. Um, yes. that's, I think what we've, what we've witnessed in the last, uh, the last two seasons is the culture that is starting to take hold with yes. Shea Weber as the captain. Yes. You know, there's, there's a greater, there's a greater level of accountability in the room within the ranks. And that a big part of that has to do with Weber's influence, like the atmosphere that he's built, but also the type of, uh, the type of captain that he is, the type of player that, you know, that his teammates admire. And so, um, yeah, so, I mean, you do have that dynamic at play, but you also have guys that are going to have to get over the, um, move past the, uh, the disappointment of losing a couple of teammates yeah. like Thompson and, uh, and Kovalchuk and, and Nick Cousins too. Like, let's not forget about Nick Cousins because mm-hmm. he was very, he, he was very well liked in the room as well. Mm-hmm, Just, for sure. you know, what wasn't, uh, didn't have as, as I, I think as, as, as significant a role as, uh, as Kovalchuk or, or Thompson. Yes. And I mean, Bergeron has been saying expect the unexpected for a long time now, but people who pay attention know that he does have his habits and patterns and trading and making moves in the summer, as opposed to doing it on deadline day is much more his thing. And so people being upset about what did or didn't happen today, I feel like haven't been paying attention. Um, well, the, I think part of it too is, um, uh, hockey pundits that, uh, yes. the, the, that we, we, um, you know, um, we talk about trade bait. We talk about, um, mm-hmm. uh, situations that's, that would benefit a team on certain levels in certain ways. And that's why the names like Jeff Petrie and Thomas Tatar, uh, were on people's lips so much, right? Because yes. the, the the hockey media wielding the influence that it does um, uh, makes good points, absolutely makes good points in saying that Jeff Petrie and Thomas Tatar could have netted significant assets for the Canadians if Bergevin had pulled the trigger um, prior to the deadline. Like once the market was set, once you saw what was happening with Jason Zucker, for instance, like that was the first salvo, but Tyler Toffoli, players of that caliber that were moving, well, you could make the point that Thomas Tatar, uh, Blake Coleman, you know, there was another one, um, Mm -hmm. that when that was happening prior to the deadline, that would have been the time to strike. But clearly, um, and I had this feeling before uh, Pierre Lebrun reported it too, that Bergman was not interested in moving Jeff Petrie unless a deal absolutely knocked his socks off and reportedly the ask was quite astronomical. And so I just had this feeling that, you know what, these are players that even though they only have one year left on term, um, they, they're players that Bergman likes. He um, appreciates their contributions um, and what they are able to, what they represent for this team. The only thing though, is that, um, yeah, okay. If, if you hold on to them and make it to the playoffs next year, the thing is that those players, what they would potentially contribute to um, a team that makes it to the playoffs, well, the, the price will go up. And um, yes. then you get into the situation that you add Tatar and and Petrie to a group that 
he's going to have his hands absolutely full because if Philip Dano and Brendan Gallagher are up for deals, Gallagher in particular could probably double his salary in mm-hmm. just market. And um, uh, Kotkaniemi will be coming out of his entry-level deal. And so there are some uh, significant pieces that will have to be taken care of if they want to maintain the core of this club. And, uh, and so, also, yeah. Um, and, and so that's where I think that people, you know, that's that, that thought, okay, it'd be a good idea to move Petrie and Tatar now, because what if you're not able to resign them at the end of next season? Well, if you flip them for uh, prospects or picks, then you're, you're sort of helping to reset in terms of getting new assets into the mix. But clearly Bergevin doesn't think that way. You know, he wants yeah. to still ice a competitive team. And without those two parts, then you're reducing, you know, um, the, the core, certainly the veteran core of the team. And then all of a sudden you start becoming the Edmonton Oilers, right? right. You mm-hmm. might have a whole lot of young talent. Mm-hmm. They might do, they might sink to the bottom of the league and get a whole lot of number one or number two overall mm-hmm. picks and stock the covers that way. But you absolutely have to have good veterans, not just veterans, but really you know, good veterans, ones that can still play, that can contribute, that are good leaders, that are good mentors, ones that are uh, the proper mix, the types that can bring young players along, because that's been one of the fatal flaws of the Oilers for the last decade, more yes. than the last decade, right? That they've thrown the young guys to the wolves. And Bergevin, I think that he and most of the GMs around the league realize that, you know, you can't do business that way, that the NHL is not a video game. And I think a lot of fans look at it that way. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just, you know, Press this button on my controller, trade this guy yes. for picks and whatever, and you know I'll draft whatever. It's like, and it's like, well, no, it doesn't work that way because you're dealing with human beings, yep. you know, with varying exactly. levels of, of of experience and maturity and skill, and and so it's it's far more complicated than just saying, okay, we'll burn it to the ground and do this and that. And the thing too is that yes, you can make a point too that burn it to the ground, but are the fa- is the fan base prepared to miss the playoffs for the next no. five years? Right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Happen. No. Yeah. Jeff Molson wouldn't allow for that to happen, nor would Mark Bergevin. So you're sort of in a catch 22 situation where a lot of people believe. And again, they make good points that that's, you know, maybe you should turn assets, current assets into futures. But mm-hmm. at what price? You know, because, you know, with, without any guarantee of those futures turning into something that can become a successful team in the short to midterm. Right. And that's, yeah. yeah, that's exactly the point there. Sure. Uh, Tatar and Petrie, you can ship them both out. Heck, the Habs might have had four first round picks. Who knows? But how many of those picks are actually going to become NHLers, like you said, in the next, oh, two, three years? And then, you know, <laughs> like you said, there, there's no way that the, that the organization would allow the team to just blatantly miss the playoffs with that regard. Um. John, I wanted to piggyback on something that you were mentioning before with uh, sort of the uh, the value of the leadership on this squad and what they're going to do going forward. Because I, I, why I'm particularly interested in in seeing the effort level and what they do under the leadership of Shea Weber, who came back from the dead and is playing on one foot, and. Carey Price, who's started whatever it is, 15 of his last 16 games. I like These guys are – pardon me? I, just, I liked what you said today about him being his own backup. 
Yes. And actually, <laughs> I stole that from Connor McKenna, actually. But um, so what these two are doing, there's, they're, they're saying we're making the playoffs this year. So that's what's going to interest me about what these guys are going to do, because that that is leadership. And oh, I mean, absolutely uh, yeah. having the additional yeah. leadership of Tatar and Petrie is is great. But these two guys are the the guys in that room. That's all. Oh, yeah. No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And that's why Bergevin weeks in advance of the deadline said that if he if some, if other GMs came calling about Price and, and Weber, the conversation would go nowhere, right? No. And uh, yeah, yeah, this, the, these are the veteran pillars of of this team. And granted, you might not like the contracts, but yeah, there's still there's still tremendous value um, and expertise and uh, maturity and leadership that these two individuals bring to the club. And so, again, you know, if you want to use the Edmonton Oilers as an example, it's like, can you, can you honestly say that the Edmonton Oilers have a veteran of the same stature of Carey Price or Shea Weber, uh, regardless of what position they might play? You know, since the Oilers went to the Cup Final in 2006, who on their roster would be the same combination of high-caliber player, like mm-hmm. superstar, as well as unimpeachable leader, regardless of what position they play. They don't yeah. have anybody. And that's why Mark Bergevin will not, he will not sacrifice either one of those players. In addition to the fact that what if he was to trade either Shea Weber or Terry Price? How do you think the other <sighs> player would react to that? Right? Yes. Um, yeah, that, that would severely uh, affect the dynamic in that room. Because if he were to uh, make a move of that, of that nature, I don't believe it would sit well with either one of those two veterans. And uh, I think it would uh, resonate pretty soundly throughout the room. Like, look at how the team reacted to Arturi Lekkanen getting, uh, being a healthy scratch. Yeah. Like that's, that Mm. tells you how tight that room is and how much the players, um, how much they respect uh, and appreciate the, the contributions that their teammates make. Because if there's one guy on that roster that you could say that's like, well, you you can't question his work ethic or his effort level at any point. Yeah. It would be Arturi Lekkanen. He might not, you know, produce as much as people would like. Okay, let's say no. Let me say correct that he does not produce <laughs> no. as much as a lot of people would like. But having said that, I just feel like a guy like Lekkanen, um, his game doesn't translate well to television because <laughs> television only follows the play, whereas Lekkanen does so many yes um, smart and subtle and wise uh, makes so many of those types of decisions away from the play, away from the puck, whether it's on the, on the forecheck or in the neutral zone or on the back check, he is um, the type of guy that's teammates and coaches really appreciate. <laughs> uh, who was it? Uh, Paul Maurice came out with a brilliant um, uh, uh, term with, I think with Dylan DeMello's first game, with the Winnipeg Jets and in his press conference afterwards, Maurice used the term coaches porn <laughs> to re- referring to Dylan DeMello, just in terms of like, just how uh, just the, the, the subtle and um, discreet, but really, um, you know, when players and coaches talk about the little things, you know, that cliche, the little things that's Dylan DeMello. And that's what, 
Paul Maurice, and I'm sure his the rest of his brethren consider coaches porn. And yeah. so, you know, Arturi Lekkonen would fall under the same category that's uh, for whether it's the coach or his teammates, you know, um, that he's that type of player. And so you see how much his teammates rallied around him um, yeah. when he did, when he was a healthy scratch. That says a lot about the room. Oh, and yeah. uh, and uh, Philip Deno, same thing. He was asked, I think it was Saturday in Ottawa, um, how we would react if Thomas Tatar were to be traded. And yes. he said he'd be pissed off. You know, and so it's like there's another indication of the atmosphere in the room. This is really a very, uh, very tight knit group. They they say this, but they actually they show it too. And uh, so again, we'll uh, we'll be all on a little bit of a fact finding mission for the next six weeks to see who is really committed to it, who is part of that, and who seems like they've checked out and that might not be part of their plans moving forward. Like late June, when it might be the hockey trade that. Mark Bergevin obliquely hinted toward about uh, this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I didn't want to keep you all night, John, but I do have one last question for you. And, sure. Um, it's actually something that you uh, tweeted about before uh, during Bergevin's presser, and he mentioned that, um, paraphrased here, I don't have it in front of me, but he's giving all of the confidence to Julien and his group and that kind of raised a few eyebrows because, well, if we look at the season, we look at things like, oh, we have two eight-game eight winless streaks to uh, go for. Uh, the Habs weren't able to pick up a win against the worst team in the league with the uh, Red Wings and whatnot. So just taking that in mind, um, how um, how would you take uh, Bergevin's uh, comments uh, for Julian and the coaching staff? Yeah, um, I'm glad that you asked that, Dave, because my tweet really generalized what he was saying um, because with the specifics of why he gave Julian and the coaching staff a vote of confidence are, are, are much, more, um, much more detailed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and it, but it's the type of thing that would make fans, angry fans, um, make their eyes glaze over or their eyes roll. And... Uh, Bergevin's rationale for why he believes that Julian and his coaching staff have done, I believe he said a good job, is that um, despite the lack of results, is that the details uh, and the messaging are uh, on point. That that he is, that Julian and his staff are simpatico with Bergevin in the messaging, that how he wants, how they want the team to execute, how they want the team to play, and the details that are necessary to execute properly. And then somehow something is getting lost between the messaging and the execution. And so that's, and in a separate thought, Bergman says that at some point it falls to the players, you know, that they have to take responsibility for it, that it isn't going to fall necessarily all on the coach's shoulders. And we've heard Bergman use this before. He said that before with, with uh, Alex Galchenyuk and yeah. um, with some of the other players, I think it was around the time that Nathan Bolia, um, Jared Tenorti and Greg Patteron were their defensive prospects and they were, their development was stalling. And at a year end press conference, Bergevin used the same terminology, something to the effect that, you know, at some point it falls to on the player's shoulders, you know, it's up to them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so, um, yeah, and it's, uh, <laughs> there's, um, just to interject really quick there, uh, Gallagher had mentioned it just recently. 
that, you know, a lot of the results aren't there and we have to take account of that, uh, you know, for ourselves as players. So that, mm-hmm. you know, that language, you know, it's from top down. It seems that they're all aware of what's going on. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And well, I mean, and Julianne saying, uh, I can't remember what night it was at the their, their most recent loss. He said that I can't go out on the ice. I can't put my skates on. Mm. I can't go out on the that ice. That was against Detroit speaking. last week. <laughs> right. Yes. So, right. Yeah. And that's a coach speaking, speaking purely out of frustration. You know, like I'm sure that Julianne is pulling out what little area has left um, <laughs> with just the way the team, his team is giving up leads and losing, you know, had lost, you know, like were swept by Detroit this season. And um, so, I mean, fans probably, a lot of fans don't like to hear that, that, you know, like the, that the, the coaching staff or the general manager are basically putting the onus, the responsibility on the players. But, and again, I'm purely speculating, but I, I almost see that as a reflection of society where you have parents that saying, it's like, well, it's up to the teachers to raise my kids. You know, mm. it's, not, it's never my kid's fault. You know, mm. it's like, well, <laughs> well, it's the parent's fault. Or yeah. It's like the kid, you have to hold the kid accountable, make the, give some standards for the kids to uphold. And I feel almost like, there may be a lot of fans projecting the same sort of mentality on the players. That's like, not the player's fault. It's the coach's fault. You know, it's like, no, no, everybody has, has a stand, has a share in that. Everybody's accountable on their own level. You know, do your job. Look at Bill Belichick, do your job. It's like probably about the simplest model there is, but it's so true. And uh, yeah. So um, again, we'll see who does their job. Yeah. Remainder of the season. That's, and uh, you wait yeah. to see for that for that kid or for that player for the moment, the aha moment when it clicks in. Um, but I, that always frustrates me to see that attitude among the fans about, you know, uh, you know, being so angry at the coach. I think Claude Julian's a wonderful coach and I think that he's a good communicator as well. Um, I, I really appreciate the job that he's doing. And, you know, considering the fact that he, he, like it or not, there have been a lot of injuries this year and he's had to be creative and figure out things to do. And a lot of the calls that he makes people dislike because they, they've just made up their minds about something and then it works. You know, Nick Cousins will score a goal. Jordan Wheel will, will score a goal. Um, you know, Arturi Lekkanen did all of those things anyway. But the the thing that frustrates me about that is the attitude of sort of the uh, lack of comprehension of what happens on a professional team or a team that's playing a sport together. Um, and, ha- you know, and again, like what you said about uh, the the culture change that, um, you know, Shea Weber has helped effect in that room. And that is the accountability, the, the accountability. These guys aren't blaming their coach. They're blaming themselves. They're, they're not pointing fingers. They're like, okay, you know, we've got to do this. And I, I like that. I like that attitude. And um, the finger pointing that happens, you know, pointing at the coach, the players, the players understand this is our job. And, you know, this is on us. So good. That's a good foundation for what we've what we've got for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to it, especially since because um, with Drouin and Byron back, it can only help uh, the defense uh, cover for you know some of the lapses that happen. You know, in the games where they weren't there. So um, it's going to be a really interesting tail end of the season. Looking forward to it. Yes, same. Well, we always have to look forward to something. 
Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Like this weekend. So, Yay! Um, Yay! You know, and um, as we've been saying in podcasts past, the happy hour will be in Montreal, and we'll be uh, uh, putting out some more details uh, to everybody about that. But before we get too far into that, John, I wanted to thank you for coming on. Um, didn't want again, don't want to so take you up for too long here. But uh, did you have something, Beth? I'm sorry. <laughs> I just said thank you. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, oh, it's my my pleasure, hope- Beth, Veronica, Dave, anytime. Great, great. I hope Mindy's Thanks, having a good evening. Yes, thank yes. you. Yes, how's Mindy? That's real, we forgot to ask about Mindy. <laughs> She's sleeping right now. Everybody's oh. sleeping in the house, so yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. <laughs> Adorable. Great. Well, John, okay. again, thank you so much, and we'll be in touch, sir. Okay, very yes. well. We'll uh, And we'll see you guys on Saturday. Sounds yes. like a plan. Have yourself a good night. Yeah. See you right. Thank you, John. Okay. Good Thanks. night, John. Okay, you're very welcome. Good night. Night. Okay. Good you night. Bye. And he's gone by. Bye. Bye. See you Saturday. See you Saturday. Bye. Yeah. Okay. See you Saturday. Bye. So here's the plan, everybody. And thanks again, John. I'm so glad we got John on. He's such a yes. such a, a, a mm, such a go getter, such a, a level headed fella with such amazing hair. Wow. His does, hair does he is he have a fabulous. head of hair? Yes. It's amazing. So he's as, always so well put together. So well put together. No matter together. what yeah, really. you know, sort of style he's wearing that oh, day, yeah. he's mm-hmm. just so well put together. He know he knows. He it's gets it. Oh, we've got to ask him about the conditioner. Shit! <laughs> well, we'll ask him when we're in Montreal. Jeez. We're going to ask him that and whatever Gallagher said. So we're going to figure this out. Because I'm super curious now. I can... I'm... Hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> that was... Yeah. So. That was off the record. McLean's. Yes. McLean's Pub on Saturday. We'll book a... Space for the happy hour. That's right. Thinking about four o'clock, I believe. Yeah, four o'clock. Four o'clock. We'll get some beers. Woo-hoo. We'll get some foods. Yeah. We'll eat and drink and yeah. be merry. And we'll look forward to the next game. I believe, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's Saturday. In between now and then, we have uh, the Canucks tomorrow. Canucks tomorrow. I'm going to have a house full for that. They enjoy- then the Rangers it's on a- Thursday. And um, we'll be there. Yeah, 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 we'll probably be there as well. So we, the happy hour, will be in town um, Thursday night. Thursday. Yeah, Thursday night, and then I believe that we are all leaving Sunday. And uh, yeah, we're gonna make a rip roaring brouhaha out of it every we, day. Yes, we're going to do everything. Everything, everything. that we possibly can do. <laughs> yes, I can't. We're wait. gonna nerd out on all things Habs. I'm and scared. Montreal. I can't wait. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. Uh, it's gonna be great. And we've 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 had uh, numerous requests for um, you know like uh, on the street walking, talking videos and stuff like that. That would oh, be fun. Shit, really? We can do that. Ugh. I think we need like a selfie stick or something yeah. for that. I, I My arms one. aren't long enough. I have enough. to find it. Uh, I have one. I have to find it. But I have one. Stick. We'll make Dave do it. Just he just fun things. Sports. Dave, don't start. Things. Fine. Yeah. Fine. We'll okay. Fine. Fine. Anyway, uh, Carl Alsner is back with the club. Yay! 
Yay! Yeah, Yay! right? And Holy Jake Evans. crap. And Jake yes! Evans, he's back as well. Um, we're coming into the closing minutes of our time tonight. Uh, let's see, what what happened in the past week? Uh, past week, yeah, <laughs> lost against Detroit. I flipped shit. Had to. Uh, we won yeah. against the Capitals. Duh. Yay! Of course we yeah. went against the Capitals. Ovechkin and did, Obi did not score. Did not his get 700. his 700th. Got his 699, though. His nice nine. So good for him. Good job. <laughs> good job, Obi. Uh, good we, job. We good blanked job. the Senators Saturday night. Yes! Blanked them. Mr. Saturday night, Carey Price, starting again. Who And he yes. punched... Brady Kachuk yes! in the face. Okay. Yes. That was uh, great. Yes. All right. So, 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 some comments there. Who can defend Brady Kachuk aside from my goaltender who loves Brady <laughs> Kachuk? And I don't oh. understand it. But then again, other teams will look at us and be like, "Dude, Brendan Gallagher is such a freaking punk." It's like, okay, well, yes, no. but he's no, our no, punk. No, 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 uh -oh. no, uh -oh. no, no, no. He is nothing like Brendan Gallagher. Yes. Brendan Gallagher is a shit disturber. Yes, Brendan Gallagher will smile at you while you're punching him in the fucking face. But he's not a fucking asshole. No. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, no. <laughs> also, if I was a Senators fan, I would love Brady Kachuk, but I'm not. So I hate him. That's how that works. I don't know. At the same time, Brady Kachuk also got pretty much, like, yelled off the ice, and then he threw a tantrum. <laughs> like, go the fuck home and cry. And Max For Domi gave him sake. the old... Oh, that... Black. I would have oh loved if freaking Domi was like, you, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Another one, but... Anyways, that didn't happen. Um, either way, uh, so uh, they went uh two and one this past week. Uh, three games this week. No back to back store. No back to backs, which is another yes. interesting thing. Until April, so March thirty first and April first is the last back to back. That's Blackhawks Predators. Mm -hmm. And mm. then the last game of the season on April fourth against the Maple Laughs. Who we can't even talk about because they're not even a team practically anymore. Oh my god. Oh boy. How pathetic. Pathetic. Just awful. awful. They're lacking all of that stuff. Everything that John Lou was talking about. Yes. Everything that we talked about tonight on the podcast, the Leafs <laughs> do not they have. They don't have it. The only person that mm. might have it is Jake Muzzin. And he is like bewildered. Every yeah. day in Toronto, but there yeah. you go. And Jonathan Tavares, where the fuck is he? Anyway, what a fucking joke He's of an organization. Bad. He's so dumb. So dumb. Just the dumbest guy on the planet. I wonder if he, like, he, he reached out to Mark Bridgman on LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, I'll, you know what? I'll take that meeting now. Can't. Too late, pajama boy. Yeah, too late. Go buy another freaking Yeah, more Pajamas, pajamas freaking fricker. So, so I have a prediction that has nothing to do with this season. But given oh. the temperament of um, of veteran leaders in the league, I have not, I believe that by twenty twenty eight we will have a top line consisting of Kotka Niemi, Sidney Crosby, and Alexander Ovechkin. Yes. Oh my god, because they both wanted to be Habs. That's right. Ovi mentioned such last week, I believe, in an yeah. article. He's like, if I wasn't a capital, I'd be a Canadian. It's like, oh shit. That's really cool. Oh shit. 
That's that would be cool. cool. It would be cool. Cough up your number. But you know what? We were actually just talking about this. Oh, I I even said it on Twitter too with my daughter's boyfriend yesterday. One minute. He he has all the. Oh, okay. About how Sidney Crosby's uh, contract is for eight point seven million because he's so superstitious, but (laughs) um, also because he took a discount, and so he's going to retire as a Pittsburgh Penguin. He's loyal. Bullshit. (laughs) He's going to play year as a half. He wants that jersey. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be amazing. It'd be. He'll be. It'd be amazing. He'll be, be a dead. It'll be a deadline rental. It'll be amazing. <laughs> he'll come by. He'll come in for league minimum and be like, "I just want to play <laughs> hockey." He's so pale. Yeah. But he look good in red. Yes. Yes. Jesus, okay. of course. Because he's so pale. Yes. 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 God. He would look great. I just make sure he wouldn't look washed out. No, uh, um, but it's a, it's Sophia's boyfriend coming for the Canucks game. Yes, I he hope is. you guys have fun. He's so lovely. He's fun. Yeah, he's a good kid. <laughs> he's a good kid. Yeah, he's he's, kid. he's from Ireland originally. So, the ho- ice hockey thing is is this whole new phenomenon for him that he's been getting sort of like this like fire hydrant of information ever since he joined this family. Trial by fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that was fun. Oh, wait. Wait, sorry, before we go. Paul Byron finally scored. Oh, yeah. Paul Byron scored. That's right. And doesn't he just look great? He was right there and he just buried it. He just, he's looking better every game. Drewen, well, he still has to figure something out. Whatever's going on there. I'm not worried. Because it is Jonathan Drouin, the most skilled yes. player as voted by the Habs players on the ice. Exactly. And it's just, yep. this This is, minus Kotkaniemi, this squad that's going to be playing tomorrow night is almost opening roster, or pretty damn close yeah. at least. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now it's with Carl Alsner, who's been playing with freaking you know, Bouchard, and Bouchard's mm-hmm. like, Alsner, you're my man! And he's like, I am your man! And so... <laughs> So yes, now, I am. Um, yes, I. Yeah. So, well, because of everything that was said tonight, I have a newfound hope for the organization. Oh, that's great. Not that it faltered that much, but in particular uh, okay. with Bouchard, and especially with the story that came out that, and it's it's not anything new either. We've heard it time and time again, and I think I just forgot about it. That Bouchard, he is playing to develop he is not um playing to win despite all preconceived notions of how teams work if he's developing players that means that they'll win on their own and he puts it all on them to win it seems to me anyway yeah that's it that's it and then, uh, uh, and I didn't get to watch the presser, but uh, Bergevin giving the vote of confidence to Julien, I was surprised about because of all the crazy things that happened this uh, season. But there are reasons, the intangible reasons, that Julien is a good coach, and we need that going forward. If the same thing happens next year, that's a whole different conversation. But we're not there yet. We're here now. 
the next thing we have to look forward to is tomorrow night against the Canucks. I can't wait. Yeah. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. Go Habs, go. Go Habs, go. go. Habs, go. We'll see y'all on Saturday. Yeah, y'all. See y'all on Saturday. And Thursday. And Thursday. Yeah. Maybe. But don't. Anyway, bye. God, it was our 100th episode. Did we even oh mention that? <laughs> I fucking hate you guys. Oh my God. Get this shit together. <laughs> I have it written on a fucking screen over here. Oh my God. Fuck. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, we'll say it in the tweet. Yeah, but I also kind of like it because it just means that we're not fucking hung up, hung up on that shit. God damn it! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just thinking about it the other day. I was like, we're coming up on two years. It's got to be around a hundred episodes. Yeah. That's the only thing that made me think of it. Yeah.